your Sunday morning attendance at church. It's more important than you think. Dr. Mark Job says, Part of the rhythm of your life needs to be taking time on a regular basis with the people of God to worship, to refresh yourself, to get ready for the rest of the week. It needs to be a part of what you do. And I'm convinced that God has called every believer in Jesus Christ to be a cycle breaker. That you break out of bad patterns and you start new patterns in God. Patterns that are sowing seeds of goodness and faith so that you will begin to reap a harvest of righteousness in your life. Amen? Welcome to Moody Presents with Mark Job, president of Moody Bible Institute and senior pastor of New Life Community Church in Chicago. We've made it through to our last message in our Nehemiah series. Boy, what an amazing time of learning to rebuild. As a reminder, you can visit moodypresents.org for all of our past messages in this series. But for today, today is a wake-up call, or if you prefer, a challenge to get back to where you need to be in God. For some weeks now, we've anchored our study in Nehemiah, and here on Moody Presents, we've been talking about family and worship. It's about restoring the centrality of worship and restoring the spiritual integrity of our relationships, focusing on Nehemiah 13, verse 15. And now, here's Pastor Mark Job on Moody Presents. You know, a few weeks ago, I went to drop off my eight-year-old son at school, and I normally don't drop him off at school, but this was an unusual day, so I drove him to school and dropped him off, and it was a very icy day. And to get out of his parking lot, there's kind of a hill that you have to go up. And so I, I, I went to get out of the hill. There was about five cars in front of me. And I noticed that we were blocked, that we were in a line. And the car that was first trying to get up the hill was sort of slipping and sliding. And then it kind of went to the side, and, and the driver was slipping and sliding some more. And so I waited for a little bit, then myself and a couple other guys got out of the car and we pushed this lady up the hill so she finally made it. Thought, okay, next car. And the next car, the very same thing happened. They started going up the hill, slipping and sliding, they'd slide down. They'd try to make it up, spin the wheels and slide down. And we had to push about four cars out of there. It required the help and the energy beyond itself, beyond the car, to get those cars out of there because it was in a backsliding state. Now, here's the thing. Spiritually, you may have felt like that way in your life sometime. Uh, don't raise your hand, but there may be some of you, even this morning as I speak, that you are that you feel like you're spinning your spiritual wheels you're accelerating but although you're accelerating you're not making a lot of progress and although your wheels are spinning and you feel like you're trying to move forward you're you're, you're actually sliding back and you say something is wrong with my spiritual life right now i can't seem to get ahead spiritually i need a divine push to get me forward. This morning's message is really about that. It's about how to get out of our state of backsliding, how to overcome the relapse that happens in our life so often. Uh, Nehemiah, just to give you a summary, some of you know the story of Nehemiah by this time. 
But Nehemiah was serving in the equivalent of the White House of Persia. He had a burden from God, a call from God that transformed his life. He left his top-notch job, relocated 800 miles away from where he lived, from the capital cosmopolitan city of Susa to the broken-down ghetto city of Jerusalem. When he arrived in Jerusalem, he found a demoralized people. He rallied the troops because of the call of God upon his life. His first job was to rebuild a wall, a wall that was a mile and a half long, 15 feet high, three and a half feet wide. He mobilized the families to adopt a portion of the wall, and this incredible thing happened in 52 days. 52 days. They were able to build the entire wall. And then they cheered and they applauded and they thought the job is done, but Nehemiah understood, listen, my job is not just to build a wall. My job is to turn a city around. And the big work to be done was to change the hearts of the people that had backslidden. So they had this massive gathering in the plaza in the middle of town. 40,000 people showed up. They began to read scripture and challenge people to change. The Holy Spirit moved on 40,000 people, so much so that people began to weep and cry about their lapsed spiritual condition and their need to change. And the Bible says that on that day they made commitments, signed commitments. They pledged before God that they would never go back to the same place that they had been. In fact, they made three commitments that involved their worship, their family, and their finances. And they said, God, we will not go back. We pledge our lives that we will serve you and follow you. We will never go back to our backslidden condition again. Nehemiah led the people for about 12 years. He served as governor. And then when his job was done, when the city seemed to be humming, everything seemed to be working well, Nehemiah decided to go back to the place where he was from, which was Susa. And so he left Everything was going well. As he waved goodbye, people were cheering. The place was humming in revival. People were encouraged. They had a vision of, of rebuilding their lives, and he left. And he was gone for 10 years. You know, a lot can happen in 10 years. Think about your life 10 years back. A lot can happen in 10 years, huh? How old were you 10 years ago? What were you going through 10 years ago? Life has changed. And what happened in their spiritual life is that they had made a strong, strong commitment to God. But over the years, they had started to relapse in their fervency, in their vision, in their hunger, in their desire for God. Not all at once. They didn't go from here to way back there, but little by little they began to relapse. Little by little they began to forsake things. They began to leave things aside. And one day they woke up and realized where, how have we fallen this far from God? Now maybe you've had one of those aha moments. You wake up one day and you say, how did I let my life get this way? That ever happened to some of you? How did I let my marriage get to this point? How, how did I let my addiction get this bad? How did I let my attitude get so negative? How did I let my heart grow so cold 
towards the things of God. How did this happen to me? What occurred to my life? It's kind of an aha, a wake-up moment. Now, Nehemiah heard how bad they were doing, so he returned to Jerusalem. And this last chapter, Nehemiah chapter 13, is all about Nehemiah reawakening people back to their former calling. This is a wake-up call. This is a get back to where you need to be in God. So this is what this message is about. If you feel in your heart that you have relapsed, that you have backslidden, that there's areas in your life that you have slidden down a slide, I go and play with my kids once in a while. I have an eight-year-old son, and there's a park not too far away from our house, and there's a slide. I play tag with them, so that's one of their favorite games, playing tag. And so have you ever tried to climb up a slide from, the, from when you're down, climb up, and how it's easy to slide down? Backslide. You get halfway up there, then you slide down. That's what had happened to them spiritually. It says, In those days I saw men in Jerusalem treading wine presses." On the Sabbath, we want to talk about family and worship, restoring the centrality of worship and restoring the spiritual integrity of our relationships. So Nehemiah says, in those days, he walked out, he saw men in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys together with wine, grapes, figs, and all the other kinds of loads. And they were bringing all this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Therefore, I warned them against selling food on that day. Men from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise and selling them in Jerusalem on the Sabbath to the people of Judah. And I rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this wicked thing that you are doing desecrating the Sabbath day? Now, this may seem a little strange to us because Nehemiah was all uptight about them selling, buying, and working on a day called the Sabbath. Now, what I've discovered is there's a lot of confusion about what exactly the Sabbath is. You read the Bible in the Old Testament, you'll hear a lot of talk about the Sabbath, right? In fact, it's one of the Ten Commandments, the Sabbath is included there. And you uh, read in the Old Testament, and it talks a lot about do not violate the Sabbath. Do not do work on the Sabbath. Uh, You read the New Testament, and uh, there's a lot of talk about the Sabbath. Remember when Jesus healed someone on the Sabbath, the religious people were all up in arms saying, how could you do work on the Sabbath? You healed someone on the Sabbath. Now let me explain for a moment just what the Sabbath is and how it applies to us. Do you remember at the very beginning of creation in the book of Genesis, which means the book of beginnings, God created the heavens and the earth in six days. And on the seventh day, he did something very unusual for the omnipotent, sovereign God of the universe, a God that never gets tired, a God that never runs out of energy, a God that has all the power in the world, it says God rested. God rested because he was trying to show us a pattern in creation. You work six days. On the seventh day, you stop, you rest, you worship, you enjoy God's creation. 
That pattern has been here since the beginning of creation. God instituted into the cycle of, of, of our human genetics. In fact, when you do not have a Sabbath, you violate how God created you. God created you to have a Sabbath. In fact, not only did he create it into our human genetics, but God created it also into, into the land. And he required that every seven years that they would not farm the land, sow or reap, and let the land heal itself and recover. He also created it into our finances. Every seven years, if you were in debt, it was part of the Jewish culture, part of the Mosaic law, that every seven years, uh, everybody's debt would be forgiven every seven years. Some of you are saying, yeah, I wish I lived back then. I know what I'd do, man. That sixth year, I'd be buying everything because then I'd be liberated. This No, they wouldn't want loan to you that easy if they knew that was going to happen. But so it's every seven years, every seven days, there's this pattern, this pattern of replenishing ourselves. And so one of the things that the Sabbath was uh, instituted for was rest. And you can read it or jot this verse down. Exodus chapter 20, verse 11. Because of the pattern in creation, God told the people of Israel, after six days they should work, and on the seventh day they should rest from their labor. I believe that we're creating a generation of workaholics oftentimes. And I think that many of us don't know how to disengage and enjoy our family and cultivate our relationships because oftentimes our sacred space has been invaded by our secular space. You're listening to Moody Presents, the weekly teaching ministry of Moody Bible Institute President, Dr. Mark Job. Thanks for pausing with us here for a moment. The title of today's message is Moving Forward When You're Sliding Back. Well, there are so many practical things that you and I can take away from the book of Nehemiah, and for that matter, this entire message series. And as we've mentioned, if you miss any of our broadcasts, you can always listen again at moodypresents.org. That's moodypresents.org. Also, download and check out the Moody Radio app for your phone or tablet. It's easier than ever now to bookmark and access the teaching on Moody Presents anytime, anywhere, on demand. Again, go to moodypresents.org to learn more. Now back to our teacher, Mark Job. I read of a study that had been done in the early 60s. In the early 60s, uh, they were uh, one of the reports and one of the futurists was saying that with the advance of technology, by the time the year 2000 came, technology would help us get so much more done that we'd only be working 20 hours a week. In fact, this report said by the year 2000, our biggest thing is what are we going to do with all our free time? And the truth is, our technology has advanced. In those days, even conceiving of an internet was out of the question. Cell phones were relegated to the military and army, and they were big, bulky things. But now we're connected. And now we have our Blackberries and always feel like we need to check that message. Now we have to put, post signs outside the auditorium that says, please turn off your cell phones. And invariably, someone doesn't do it. And, you know, you know how to do it, right? If it rings, you kind of look around. Who is that? 
It seems like we're always connected. People go on vacation, and now while their children play in the pool, they're on their Wi-Fi internet uh, sending emails back and forth from work. We live in a time where it's hard to disconnect from our work, where we don't replenish our spirit, our soul, and our body, where it's hard to carve out time to make time on the weekends to worship God because it feels like we have so much to do, we're so tired, there's so much happening in our life that we don't take time to replenish our spirit, our soul, and our body. And God says this is part of the pattern in your life. If you violate this pattern, then you will eventually break down and eventually you will begin to lose your spiritual way and lose your physical health. The other reason he instituted the Sabbath was not only for rest, but also for worship. Notice what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15. God is speaking to the people of Israel and he says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt. The Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commands you to observe the Sabbath day. Why? Because God has done so much in your life. Observe the Sabbath. Take time to reflect, to give thanks, to remember what God has done. So the Sabbath has two things that are important. One is rest and two is worship. So here's the thing. Part of our rhythm of life is that every seven days, you need to carve out time to worship, to get refreshed, to rest, to thank God, to get your spirit, your soul, and your body on track. Now, there's a lot of things that try to take that away from us, right? In fact, what I believe is the first thing that starts to go when someone starts to get off track spiritually, one of the first things that starts to go is their Sabbath, where they make God the center and they carve out time to worship. In fact, do you realize that there's a lot of things that are trying to keep you from coming out with the people of God, the community of faith, and carving out time to worship? Uh, there's always things going on, right? A headache the onset of a headache, especially when, the, when there's a football game at 12. Um, there, 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 there's overtime at your job that's constantly beckoning you to come in a little bit more. There's yard work that has to be done. There's family coming in from out of town. There's uh, uh, just, just you wake up tired and you think it's the only day I have to sleep in. You know, there's a lot of things that are beckoning, a lot of things that are saying, hey, you need to take that. You don't have time. It's a good thing to do, but it shouldn't be a priority. And God is saying to them, that needs to be part of the center of your existence, part of the rhythm of your life, needs to be taking time on a regular basis with the people of God to worship, to refresh yourself, to energize yourself, to get ready for the rest of the week. It needs to be a part of what you do. Now, there's a lot of people that confuse about the Sabbath because we don't live in the Old Testament anymore. We live in the New Testament. And you may be asking yourself, well, is this about Saturday or Sunday or what day of the week is it that we're supposed to observe? Some of you come out of religious traditions where you were taught that you had to observe the Sabbath and worship on Saturday instead of Sunday. Let me just answer a couple questions in that direction. Number one, the early church started worshiping on Sunday in the New Testament. Why? Because it was the day that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. 
And if you look at the, uh, at the early church in the New Testament, in the writings of the Apostle Paul, or you look at the first uh, several hundred years of the church, they started meeting on Sunday simply because it was Sunday where they celebrated the resurrection of Jesus. And so we have continued in that tradition, and we meet on Sundays because that's kind of when the church celebrates the resurrection of Jesus. If you look also at uh, Colossians, uh, Colossians tells us that we are no longer under the same obligation that the Old Testament believers were. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, it says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holiday or new moon or the Sabbath days because they are just shadows of things to come. Here's the point. The point is there's no day that's more sacred than another day. Uh, Sundays is no more sacred than Monday. Uh, Mondays is no more sacred than Saturdays. Every day is pretty much the same. But we need to make sure that we are in the pattern of worshiping God and carving out time for God every day. The Pharisees were so insistent on keeping the Sabbath, yet they missed the heart of God. Uh, Do you remember the Pharisees, when Jesus healed on the Sabbath, uh, they judged him and Jesus said, hey, the Sabbath was not, that, that, that God did not make man for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath for man. And the Pharisees made rules upon rules to keep the Sabbath. And for example, one of the rules that they had on the Sabbath is that you could not make mortar to build. And so they made up a rule that you weren't allowed to spit on the Sabbath. Because if you spit, your spit would mix with dust and it would make a little mud and that was like making mortar. So you were not allowed to spit on the Sabbath. I don't know if they had the spit uh, inspectors walking around seeing if anybody spit on the Sabbath, but it wasn't allowed because you might fall into work. The other rule that they had on the Sabbath is that you were not allowed to look in the mirror. You see, because if you looked in the mirror, you might see a gray hair. Doesn't happen to me often, but you know, you may look in the mirror and see a gray hair, and you may be tempted to pluck that gray hair, and therefore you would be working on the Sabbath. So, on the Sabbath, if you saw a mirror, you'd have to turn your back like this and make sure you didn't see it because you'd be violating the Sabbath. Listen, folks, that's called legalism. Legalism is when there's a scriptural principle, but you put rules upon rules upon rules upon rules to make sure you don't violate that that scriptural principle. That's called legalism. That's called religion. That's called religiosity. And that does not lead to freedom. That leads to bondage. It's about a relationship, not about rules. Are you tracking with me? If you don't intentionally determine to break the cycles of your past, you will repeat it over and over. And listen, your children will repeat it, and your grandchildren will repeat it. There has to be people that become cycle breakers. If you put your life in neutral, you're going to repeat the patterns of your past. In fact, some of you right now, as I speak, you're repeating the patterns of your past. Patterns of divorce. Patterns of addiction. Patterns of marital infidelity. Patterns of depression, patterns of a critical spirit. Some of you had patterns of that in the past. Your grandparents did it. Your great-grandparents did it. You've learned it. 
It's almost like it's built into you. You don't have to, you, you just naturally do it because it's been passed down from generation to generation. And you know what Nehemiah's telling them? Nehemiah's telling them, break the pattern. Get out of the cycle. Wise advice for sure. That's Mark Job, and this is Moody Presents. The topic today, moving forward when you're sliding back. It's part of the larger series in Nehemiah that we've titled, Rebuild Your Life, Your City, Your World. To listen again, visit moodypresents.org. Friends help each other, right? I mean, that's the very definition of friendship. That's part of the fabric of friendship, helping others. Well, we want you to know that we are very grateful for the friends who have decided to become Moody Presents partners. Who are they? Well, these are the folks who help us with our expenses every single month. But there's an extra benefit for you when you become a Moody Presents partner at $30 a month or more. You'll enjoy a 50% savings off the entire Moody Publishers catalog. Now think of this. Every book, every Bible study, every devotional, all half off. Biographies, stuff for kids, 50% off as often as you like. Well, we're looking for more Moody Presents partners, and you can become one of them at moodypresents.org. That's moodypresents.org. Hey, next time we get together, we're going to explore our final Nehemiah message. Trust me, you don't want to miss the conclusion. We hope you'll join us. And until then, I'm John Geiger, and on behalf of Dr. Mark Job, thank you for listening to Moody Presents, a production of Moody Radio, and a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.